to As For Me and My House. Thanks for joining us in your homes and around your tables as we dive into our study in Philippians, which we have entitled, Finding Joy in Every Season. What do you think that you need to be content? Is it a happy marriage? Children that obey? The perfect job? Recognition? Maybe a house that impresses? A perfect body? This pandemic to be over? The newest iPhone? Right. The Apostle Paul needed none of these things to be content. That's what we're going to see in our study in Philippians 4, 10 through 20. Right. In fact, he had no wife, no children, no impressive house or electronics. Yet he possessed something that riches cannot buy, an abiding peace, a satisfaction, a rich contentment that filled him with a joy unknown to many Christians. Right, Lauren. So in this text, we're going to be looking at the secret that we need to learn that Paul is giving us. And it's not a Gnostic teaching here. It's not a Um, it's a secret that's made known to us by the Apostle Paul that can change our lives and and how we live our our days on earth. So the secret of Christian contentment, that's what Paul is pointing us to in this text. And the secret, again, it's a public secret. It's an open secret. Scripture reveals this secret to us. Now, in our text, Paul does talk about money, the sensitive subject of money. Let's face it, it can be sensitive for some people. And Paul um, will clarify his motives. And Paul will address that money matters here, but he does so with wonderful pastoral uh, grace and care. And so Paul will provide a wonderful theology, really, of giving and receiving that every believer should consider closely. So let's begin. Again, we're in Philippians 4, 10 through 20, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Well, once again, surprise, surprise, Paul is rejoicing. And this time he adds the adverb greatly. Why is Paul so happy? Well, he is thrilled by the Philippians' renewed support. And here's where we are reminded that the occasion of this letter was to thank the Philippians for their gift of money. But Paul is walking a delicate line. He is clarifying his motivation. He doesn't want the Philippians to think that he's dependent on their gift or even expects it from them. You know, in case there are any skeptics that were hearing that letter from Paul, and he just wants to say, that, you know, they're going to think, does he just want more money? And no, Paul wants to make it clear that he does not seek or need their money in an ultimate sense. Instead, he is interested in the church bearing fruit and pleasing God. Okay, so Paul further clarifies those intentions as he talks about his own contentment. And we see that in the next verse, right, Lauren? Right, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So this is amazing. Paul has learned the secret of being content. This is a secret we need. We live in a discontent society discontent with the weather. It's too hot, too cold, too rainy, too humid, too snowy. People are discontent with their jobs, discontent with their spouses, with their homes, with their bodies, with traffic. You know, commercialism runs on getting you to be discontent with what you have so that you'd seek more. But here is the encouragement. Even through this dark, discontented age, Christian contentment is possible. There is a joy and a satisfaction 
and a contentment available. And here we learn three truths about contentment, contentment right, Lauren, in these verses? Right. Mm-hmm. And the first, content, uh, the first truth about contentment is, as Paul is going to show us here, is that, number one, contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Mm. Paul stresses this in this text, that his contentment did not increase or decrease based on his, you know, his material possessions. Uh, look in verse, was it verse 11? He says, in whatever situation, and then later, in every circumstance. He's making a statement that more stuff won't bring deeper satisfaction, mm-hmm. and neither will less stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, many often think, we often think, that we need a change of circumstances, a mm-hmm. change of situation, in order to experience more joy. Uh, you know, it's true, right? Many of us say, if only this happens, then I will be happy or content. And we base our contentment on the states of our marriages, our health, our job, our church, how well our children are doing, or our physical appearance. You know, if only this would change, then my life would be better. So we have this poem here that I think we can really identify with. And uh, maybe, Lauren, you can read this one for us. Sure. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Uh, A powerful poem. It speaks to me. But Paul is teaching us the hard, sobering truth that the rare jewel of Christian contentment has, again, has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's found in Christ. And we need him. So that's the first uh, thing that we learn about contentment. It's unconnected to our circumstances. And uh, then we go on to another truth about contentment. Right. The second point is that contentment is learned. So twice Paul says that he learned contentment. Contentment wasn't zapped into his heart. It was through many circumstances that Paul learned that Christ was enough. So first we see in poverty and in affliction, you know, he suffered more than our minds can comprehend. Persecutions, physical and emotional anguish, hunger, sleepless nights, slander, shipwreck, dangerous work. Through all of this, he learned contentment. Yeah, that's right. He didn't learn contentment just in theory. He learned it in reality. Mm. Um, You're talking about the poverty and the affliction. Uh, We can see this in some of Paul's, many of Paul's letters. In 1 Corinthians 4.11, he says, Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Um, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five to 27, he says, three, to- three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst without food, cold and lacking nothing. Yeah, not only through suffering and loss, but Paul was also able to find contentment in Christ through times of plenty. Yeah, Paul knew abundance as well. Mm. He experienced the other end of the spectrum. He knew what it was like to be hosted, 
by, for example, the wealthy Lydia in mm. Philippi. We looked at Lydia earlier in our study, and surely she had some wonderful dinners, this, this lady of the purple cloth, mm. and uh, probably had some wealthy Christian friends in Ephesus and Corinth. Paul probably participated in many of those events. Right. And we might say, of, of course, he, he prospered or abounded in these circumstances. Of course, he was content in this. But really, this might be even more of a struggle for us. Uh, Wearsby says, few of us have learned how to abound. Prosperity has done more damage to believers than adversity. Revelation 3.17 says, I am rich and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. You know, when things are good, we tend to forget God. We can grow lukewarm towards the things of God. We can turn to our projects, our comforts, our vacations, and our own time. But And God can be squeezed out. He appears to not be needed. So what was the mystery Paul learned in the School of Discipleship? What was the secret to lasting contentment? Yeah, and here is the uh, third truth about contentment. The secret is this. Contentment flows through union with and communion with Christ. That's verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what does that say? It says that apart from him, we can do nothing, but with him and through him, we are able to do all things. So all things within the will of God, right, Lauren? Right. Uh, All things that bring glory to God, all things is placed in the emphatic position as if Paul highlighted these words for all to see. These words should leap off the page to us. Not I may do all things, but I can do all things. You know, may indicates permission, but can means ability. Yeah, and uh, if you have an ESV Bible at home, we might wish that they had added the word these, that uh, Paul had said, I can do all these things through him who strengthens me, because this is the context, right? Mm -hmm. Paul is saying, I can do all these things. I can be content in the highs and the lows through Christ who strengthens me. Right. All things does not refer to anything and everything that pops into our mind, like mighty feats of strength or great athletic feats. It refers back to the previous verses, like you were saying, Brent. I can bear all things with joy and contentment. The highs and lows of life will not pull me from Christ. Paul has power to endure extreme circumstances without anxiety, but with an abiding peace and joy. So how does he endure? It's through Jesus who strengthens him literally through him who infuses strength into me. Through relationship with Jesus, we can know a power available to strengthen us with contentment and joy. We, we don't need to wonder why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord uh, in the short epistle. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus strengthens us and produces in us a joy and a contentment as we know an intimate relationship with him. Okay, so really, in a nutshell, what this is showing us is that Paul isn't here. He isn't preoccupied with his situation. He's preoccupied with Jesus. That is the secret. Um, When we focus on Jesus, you can be content. It really is that simple, right? It sounds too simple, but it's exactly as it is. The secret to focusing on Jesus and communing with him daily, that's where we find our strength. Okay, so now as we look at verses 14 through 16, Paul, he's picking back up on the subject from verse 10. And and that's where he's now highlighting again the Philippians' support, their gift to him. So verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And so the Philippians, they had a track record of supporting Paul financially. Paul gave his time to many churches, but apparently at the time of his second missionary journey, Paul's saying that no other church had supported him financially except for these Philippians. You know, we can also read in 2 Corinthians that the Macedonian churches that included the Philippian church, that they, they too were gracious givers. They not only gave to Paul, but even to the poor Jerusalem church. Right. In 2 Corinthians, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Okay, so what is all this really getting at? And what we should see is this, that Paul is pointing out the inseparable relationship between financial giving and gospel partnership. God's word was spreading, the gospel was spreading, churches were being planted, but uh, the Philippians, they were the exemplary authentic partners who shared in Paul's mission through their financial giving. You know, giving is an important part of being a partner in the gospel. Um, you could say if we're, not, if, we're, if we're not a partner, then what are we? we we're, a we're a consumer. We're a customer in the church. We want to be partners in the gospel, partners in ministry. Paul says of the Philippians that this is just so good. And, you know, isn't it true, Lauren, that generosity mm -hmm. is an indicator of spiritual health? So let's keep reading verse 17 here. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul is saying it's not about the money. Paul is not even thinking about himself. He is saying that he knows when we invest in eternal things that there is a reward. He is speaking of the credit that the Philippians will receive in heaven based on their generosity here on earth. The truth is the only money we will see again uh, in heaven is that which we gave to kingdom purposes while on earth. Here's a quote by Randy Alcorn that I found interesting. What's the biggest misconception Christians have about giving? That when we give money away to a church or ministry or to help the needy, it's gone. While we hope others will benefit from it, we're quite sure we won't. We think we're divesting ourselves of money, disassociating from it. Once it leaves our hands, we imagine it has no connection to us, no further implications relevant to our lives. And we couldn't be more wrong. What we think we own will be rudely taken from us, some of it before we die, and anything that's left the moment we die. But now is our window of opportunity, not to divest ourselves of money, but to invest it in heaven. We don't have to have everything taken from us. We can give it before the disaster or death strike. Now's our chance to give what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. So the Bible speaks much about storing our treasures in heaven, right, Brent? Uh, We're commanded by Jesus not to store treasures on earth. They won't last. Uh, but the wise investment is to store treasures in heaven. Right, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, and uh, the point is this, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Yeah, so if we steward our money in such a way that we give little to the Lord's money or, or to his purposes, we will reap sparingly in heaven. 
there will be eternal ramifications. But if we are generous on earth, we will reap, reap much reward in heaven. Paul is thinking about the Philippians' future eternal reward for their gift towards kingdom purposes now. Paul never has his eyes on himself. Paul is as deeply joyful about others' reward as he is about his own. And then Paul goes on to say, now we're in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So this is now the language of worship, the language of accounting that maybe we saw in the previous verse now shifts to the language of worship. God loves gracious givers and God rewards gracious givers. Here, is, here it is speaking about fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and, and pleasing to God. You know, just as the Old Testament sacrifices made a pleasing aroma that would go upward to the Lord, Paul says that this sacrificial giving is pleasing to the Lord. The highest possible value is placed on giving. We have to get this. It is a means of worshiping God. So we might ask, you know, what smells good to you? A lot of people might answer, it's coffee. Or I think this time of year, it's being outside and somebody has the barbecue going and you walk by. But God delights in the generous hearts of his people. This is a fragrant offering. And he goes on to say in verse 19, Paul does, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so their generosity results in God's generosity toward them. This is a promise here. This promise here must be read in its context, and it is saying to the generous believer that God will be generous towards you. Right. A great enemy to faith-filled giving is anxiety about what's going to happen to us. People have many fears when it comes to money, and we need to fight these fears with the promises of God. And this verse above is a promise. God will supply every need, and this is according to his infinite resources. Uh, if you want to strengthen your faith in the promises of God in regards to the Lord's provision, you know, read Hudson Taylor, read George Mueller. It is amazing to see how the Lord answers their prayers and provides for them. I just have a, a quick story I wanted to read uh, from uh, George Mueller's biography. And um, George's, one of his assistant's daughters was at their orphanage this day, and uh, one of Mueller's uh, assistants came in and said, I hate to bother you, Mr. Mueller, uh, but it's happened. The children are ready for breakfast and there's not a thing in the house to eat. What shall I tell them? So this had never happened before. They had never woken up for breakfast and had nothing to eat. And George stood up and he um, got this eight-year-old uh, daughter, the, the daughter of his assistant, and said, come with me and, and see what God will do. So he went inside the orphanage and uh, inside they found 300 children standing in neat rows behind their chairs and set on the table in front of each child were a plate, a mug, a knife, a fork, a spoon, but there was no food whatsoever to be seen. And George watched as Abigail's eyes grew wide with astonishment. But where's the food? Abigail asked in a whisper. God will supply, George told her quietly before he turned to address the children. There's not much time. I don't want any of you to be late for school, so let us pray, he announced. As the children bowed their heads, George simply prayed, Dear God, we thank you for what you are going to give us to eat. Amen. 
George looked up and smiled at the children. You may be seated, he said. He had no idea at all where the food he had just prayed for would come from or how it would get to the orphanage. He just knew God would not fail the children. A thunderous din filled the room as 300 chairs were scuffed across the wooden floor. Soon all 300 children sat obediently in front of their empty plates. No sooner had the noises in the dining room subsided than there was a knock at the door. George walked over and opened the door. In the doorway stood the baker, holding a huge tray of delicious-smelling bread. Mr. Mueller, began the baker, I couldn't sleep last night. I kept thinking that somehow you would need bread this morning and that I was supposed to get up and bake it for you. So I got up at 2 o'clock, 2 a.m., 2 in the morning, and made three batches for you. I hope you can use it. George smiled broadly. God has blessed us through you this morning, he said as he took the tray of bread from the baker. There's two more trays out in the cart, said the baker. I'll fetch them. And I won't read it, but it goes on to say that a milk truck actually breaks outside of the orphanage and um, gives all of the children uh, milk as well for the day. So just amazing to see the Lord's provision in George Mueller's life. Um, And it's important to note that God will supply every need and not every greed. And that story is a great segue to verse 20, where it says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The goal of our existence is to bring glory to God and honor and praise to the Father. We glorify Him when we can be content in the highs and lows of life because Christ is most valuable to us. You know, Lauren, one has to admire, right, the fact that Paul was in prison and yet there he was soaring with a heart filled with praise and rich contentment. And isn't it true that we would soar too if we pondered anew what the Almighty can do and has done? In our contentment, we show the great worth and glory of the one who saved us. Therefore, let us give abundantly out of this rich contentment. Let's bow in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the pattern of Paul and this Philippian church. And this day we want to rejoice in you as well over our partners in the gospel. We say thank you for all of those who have shared and sacrificed to spread the gospel and to build up your church. Uh, And so we want to pray that you would help us to better learn the secret of contentment and that in any and every circumstance, we can be content through Christ. We recognize our, our great need to learn that secret. I know I do today, Lord. So we ask for your grace and we pray that you would help us to have our hearts, um, Lord, that we would want to store up treasures in heaven and invest in the things of eternal value. So we pray for your strengthening grace to live for God's glory in all of life. And so we thank you for this study, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to wrapping up our study with you in Philippians next week.